passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Do you plan on staying at Featherweight or do you plan on moving up? Hey, I can't gotta defend his throne. If he leaves his throne, I got another gig to come. Come see me. Bless Arrow, baby. Let's go. The Bless Express is going home. You will see Hawaii. Choo-choo. It was an honor calling your fight, sir. Congratulations. Everybody get me on the podcast. I'll tell Joe, let it go. Anytime, sir. The best ever, ladies and gentlemen. The best featherweight king of all time, Max Holloway. Hello, everybody, and welcome to our UFC 231 post show. I am John Pollock, joined by Phil Chertok, who is joining me. Two people that reside in Toronto that follow MMA on a pretty consistent level that did not go to the show tonight. How are you, Phil? How do you feel that you and I are just too cool for school to attend this card tonight? Uh, I feel perfectly fine that uh, I'm ready to hit my bed as soon as uh, this podcast is over. So I don't regret not attending whatsoever. I love watching cards at home. I love watching them on TV. I find it so much easier to follow it. Like if if I'm not like working at a show and even that I feel and a, be- a much better uh, appreciation of the show just just watching it this way. So I really had no hang up on actually not going uh, to this event. But uh thank you as always for joining me Phil. I know all the people out there they wanted to he- hear uh, Phil's thoughts from everything from Alexander Rakic all the way up to Max Holloway in the main event. And we're going to cover it all. Well, I'm happy to be here and I'm happy to give the people what they want. So a quick uh, news item before we get into the fights. It was announced uh, on Saturday that TSN and the UFC have extended their agreement together. And TSN is now going to be the exclusive television home for the UFC. The prior deal, uh, we were getting live cards mixed between TSN getting the lion's share and then a lot of undercards and some of the Fight Pass events would also air on the Fight Network. And uh, Fight Network is not going to be part of this new deal. It's all going to be on TSN, including the ESPN Plus content. Uh, anything surprising about that, Phil? And do you think that it uh, is going to change anything in, in any great deal in terms of TSN's coverage of MMA and just your overall thoughts on how TSN has worked out for them. Well, I think TSN has worked out fine. I mean, they used to get a lot of coverage on the biggest competitor here, Sportsnet, and then the rights switched over a few years ago. Uh, I think it's a it's a good new it's good news for Canadian fans who are worried about the exclusive ESPN Plus content uh, because ESPN Plus is not available in Canada. Uh, Canadian fans were unsure how they were going to get that content. So now they know it's going to be available on TSN, So, which is pretty much available in most television homes in this country. So it's, a good, it's good news for Canadian fight fans. Yeah, and it's going to include uh, 22 fight night cards, 
It's also going to include Dana White's Tuesday Night Contender Series. That will be airing on TSN, so uh, spread out among the uh, the five channels that TSN has. So for Canadian listeners, uh, there is your update, and you will get all of the ESPN Plus shows. So let's get into this card. Uh, I'm going to actually start. I think we're going to work our way up. Let's uh, we'll, we'll build up to uh, the fights of importance at the end. But uh, we won't spend too much time on the prelims here. But it did kick off uh, many, many hours ago, Phil, at 6.15 p.m. Eastern time with Alexander Rakic defeating Devin Clark, 4.05 of the first round. Uh, Rakic coming into this with uh, quite a lot of... Uh, Hype. He was the biggest favorite on this entire card at minus 600. And yes, he did get the stoppage victory, but he also, he did go through some problems early on getting clipped by Devin Clark. And at one time, I thought that Devin Clark might be able to finish this guy. It it was uh, a little dicey there. Uh, The power was uh, huge. But uh, Rakic, if that's how you pronounce it correctly, he certainly, uh, he definitely had the superior technique and that he was able to withstand that early barrage from Clark and get the finish at the end. But it was definitely dicey uh, for a second there. This was also where we had several illegal knees that landed that there, there was no warning by the referee Brian Beauchamp, who was uh, in the third man in the octagon here. Uh, did not play a big difference here. But uh, between some of the refereeing on this card, Phil, and some of the judges' scorecards, it was quite the night in Toronto is all I will say. Yeah, the, definitely there's something going on with the uh, Ontario Commission. Uh, there's there's a long history of MMA not being in Ontario, and it seems like they're uh, more than willing to give some inexperienced uh, refs an opportunity at these huge events and uh, yeah, you get bizarre situations like we had tonight. Yeah. That illegal knee rule. I think that even fighters are confused by it. Now I get the sense that because Joe Rogan was mentioning during this fight that those are illegal anywhere. And it was, you know, as I'm watching it here, it's, he had his hand down, but not his knees down. So the hand that that would that would be a legal knee if you were going by the new ABC rules. So it's so confusing right now that I don't even think the people that are calling the shows necessarily know from state to state, or if you're in a province, in this case in Canada, what the rules are. I can't imagine being a viewer that's just trying to process all of this, having to figure out. Okay, like think about if you were to tune into a hockey game, Phil, and you had to look at the geography of where this hockey game is taking place to know what rules we're playing by tonight. Yeah, it's definitely a bizarre quirk of the whole uh, uh, state slash province regulated system. And uh, yeah, we 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 need some un- real unified rules. Next up, uh, Diego Fajea defeated Kyle Nelson. This uh, came TK, uh, by TKO 123 of the second round. Kyle Nelson replaced Jesse Ronson at the beginning of the week when they told Jesse Ronson, you are too big to make this lightweight limit on such short notice. He had to cut like 20 pounds, and they said no. So Kyle Nelson took the fight on very short notice and at a higher weight class. He naturally fights at 145. And while I think he did run out of steam, Phil, he looked very good early on. He seemed very composed. He was landing. And then it was just Diego Fajaya kind of took over. Uh, you kind of saw it towards the end of the first. And then into the second, he was able to just kind of overwhelm Nelson and then 
get get the stoppage uh, in the second round. But I, I think that Kyle Nelson will probably get at least another crack to fight at his proper weight class and have an actual training camp ahead of him. I definitely think he'll have another fight in the UFC. He came out with a lot of heart. He he f- fired some big shots. He kind of uh, you know, got tired a little bit too early, but that's to be understood for taking a fight on a week's notice. So, uh, yeah, let's see him in there again. Um, yeah, I look forward to it. Diego Lima defeated Chad Laprise by knockout, 137 of the first round. Very tough loss for Chad Laprise. Uh, Diego Lima, uh, definitely needed this one. He had lost his last three, and then in between there, he had also gone on, uh, on tough as well. So got a much needed victory here. Uh, it was a beautiful knockout. He just, clocked him and Laprise went down and he was a mess from this shot and Lima just put his arms up he knew it was over and didn't want to follow up with any more strikes and then uh, made the big plea to Dana White he's got three kids and he needs 50 grand and that's uh I guess that made everyone just really hope that this guy gets 50 grand at the end of this uh yeah it was I mean, it was a spectacular knockout. It was pretty brutal. This is that's like the second time that uh, Chad Laprise has been brutally knocked out in the UFC. Plus, he has a third TKO loss in the uh, octagon. And yeah, it was kind of a heartwarming. Well, it was pulling on the heartstrings, hearing about his uh, the need for his uh, the money. So. It was a pretty nice knockout, so maybe he'll get a performance bonus, but there were a lot of good performances on this card. Yeah, that's what I thought. It was it looked great at the time, but man, when you're when you've watched the whole card and you saw some of the performances on this, I, I don't know. Uh we're doing this immediately after the show, so we haven't seen the uh, the bonuses. If those do come out while we are recording, we will relay them over. And then the final fight pass prelim. We had four of them tonight. Brad Katona, who had uh, won the ultimate fighter at 145 pounds, but was coming down to bantamweight for this fight, took on Matthew Lopez, a quality bantamweight. Uh, we This was the first time we went to the judges' scorecards. He got the unanimous decision, scores of 30-27, 29-28 twice. Uh, I thought that uh, Brad Katona, his his timing was really on point. Uh, I thought his striking uh, looked very good here. And then kind of the high point of the fight was in the closing moments when Brad Katona Locked on a submission, and Matthew Lopez was out as the horn sounded to end the fight and probably should have been a technical submission. Instead, uh, it was not ruled as such by uh, the returning Brian Beauchamp, and we went to the judges' scorecard. So Brad Katona gets the victory, uh, not a submission, though, even though this guy was he was done uh, when he released this submission. Uh, yeah, he, uh, Katona fought a good fight. It looked like he was having a little bit of difficulty with the reach early on, but he was able to just sort of use good footwork and technique to, to close that distance and, and shore up that gap throughout the fight. And, uh, yeah, that submission at the end was pretty tight. I'm not sure I would say it should have been a technical submission because, he he did he could have sort of continued even though he was stumbling around it wasn't like he was out of it but he was definitely in huge trouble and had the fight gone on uh most likely that would have been the end of it after that we went to the televised prelims and that started off with Elias Theodoro and Eric Anders this one went the distance as well went to a split decision with uh, Elias Theodoro getting the victory uh 
I thought he won the first and third rounds, and I gave Eric Anders the, the second round. I think that's what, what most had here. Uh, did you score the fight for Theodoro? And if so, what stood out uh, in his performance for you, Phil? Well, I did I did score it for Theodoro two rounds to one, the first and the third. But the second round, he took a lot of damage. You could have even made the case it was a 10-8 round. So I was sort of wondering if it was maybe a draw. But it, it, was, it was a very weird fight because uh, Theodoro clearly outlanded Anders in volume. I think like the, the, the striking numbers are astronomical, but he took a lot of damage in the fight. So it was, it was a pretty close fight. Uh, I always, uh, the last time Theodoru fought, there was a great Reddit comment. Uh, how can somebody so beautiful fight so ugly? And, uh, uh, like you know, Theodoro is getting the job done against some decent opponents. But if he really wants to make a name for himself in the UFC and really climb the the ranks, he's going to need to put on a more exciting type of fight. I think he's got a very awkward style, and they were kind of focusing on that during the commentary that he'll he's just like all over the place, and then he'll do these spins and finish it with a low kick. And I think Anders was definitely having some some problems with it. And Elias Theodoro, he's one of those middleweights that has just quietly put together a lot of victories for himself. Thus far, he, he's been in the UFC now for uh, coming up on five years by the time we get to April. He's won now eight fights in the UFC, and his only losses are to Tiago Santos, who we're going to see later, and Brad Tavares. Yeah, no no shame in the, in the losses, quality opponents. And even in those fights, he was competitive. Uh, he has this, he has this good style for avoiding damage. Um, he doesn't really get beat up in fights, even though he took some shots now, uh, in this one. It's, it's really, he beats people with, with volume. He, he's able to keep up a really high pace that pretty much no one can match. And even though he's not landing, uh, like really strong shots, it's just an overall volume of shots that makes it tough for, uh, opponents to even get started. Yeah, I thought this was a big kind of setback loss for Eric Anders, who I think when he had the fight with Lyoto Machida, and a lot of people scored that fight for Eric Anders. I think since then he's he's had those opportunities, but I think that this was a step, uh, certainly a step back for him. Uh, definitely. I mean, he looked huge in this fight too. I mean, I, I, I'm wondering if 185 is even the right weight class for him. Well, it was going around. Apparently, Elias did a interview afterwards and the Ontario commission, they have to get your weight uh, when you're going out there for the fight. And Elias apparently looked over at the inspector's sheet to see what Eric Anders weight was. And if Elias is to be believed, Eric Anders put on 37 pounds since the weigh-ins on Friday. Well, it looked like it. It was, it was, he was massive. I believed it based on the size discrepancy here. And Elias is a big middleweight too. Uh, but Eric Anders was a tank out there. Yeah. <laughs> 37 pounds, dude. It's outrageous. Uh, <laughs> we went on to, uh, Jessica I and, uh, Caitlin Chukagian at Flyweight. There would be a big focus on the women's flyweight division on this particular show. Uh, I didn't think this fight was 
all that entertaining. It was very, very close. I think that you could uh, have scores all over the place. I scored the first two rounds for Jessica I. She was able to kind of swell up the eye of Chukagan in the first round and block some takedowns. And then the second round, I thought, was the most clear of the three rounds. Uh, I gave that one to Jessica I just with the, the kicks that she was delivering, working with her jab, and she landed this great elbow. And then in the third I thought that was Chukagian's round. So I had a 29-28 for Jessica I, but I can certainly see uh, many different scores for this fight. Yeah, I had it uh, 29-28 for Chukagian with me giving her the first round, but it was an extremely close fight with not a ton of like significant moments. It was so it was a little bit uh it wasn't the most thrilling uh spectacle on the card. Well, let me ask you this, Phil. Did you think that Jessica I, she has now won three fights in a row since uh, returning to 125 pounds in her career? Is this enough that this could get her a title fight from this? Uh, (laughs) Well, I mean, the big thing at that weight class is – who is there to fight? I mean, there, there, there's no, no other chance. There's no other contenders really in that division. So especially for the new champion that was crowned today. Uh, so maybe, I guess, why not? That'll <laughs> like, be the, the tagline for the pay-per-view. I mean, it, it, this is the level of, uh, this is, you know, this is the threshold of requirements now for a UFC title fight, especially in the women's, uh, flyweight division. So, sure, she's the most recognizable name, so why not? God, I just went to the UFC website to look at the rankings and they've changed their website up. So it's just a nightmare to even find the rankings. I can find all the panelists, but I can't find the actual rankings. Oh, my Lord. Well, forget that. Anyway, we move on. Jess Guy gets the victory, uh, improves to 14 and 6. Gilbert Burns took on Olivier Aubon Mercier. Uh, I thought Gilbert Burns won every round here. Pretty convincingly. So we got, of course, one judge who did score a round for Oben Mercier, but whatever. Right guy won. Uh, Gilbert Burns, uh, he did get, uh, clipped early, but then, uh, was able to get, uh, Oben Mercier down, was just attacking him with ground and pound, dropping hammer fists on him, almost finished him in the first round, and then continued to get takedowns with leg sweeps, got him into side control in the second round and into the third, just working from half guard and a pretty good performance from Gilbert Burns and Olivier Oban Mercier. Um, he's someone that I I've seen flashes from. I think he's a great personality, but he's in a really deep weight class. Absolutely. So for first Gilbert Burns just fought an amazing fight. Uh, Oban Mercier is a tough opponent and Gilbert Burns pretty much won the fight in every domain. Uh, so that was really impressive. Uh, he looked like he was having fun out there as well. And yeah, Obama Mercier, he's had moments where he's looked really good and he's looked like he's improved a lot over the last few years, but definitely having these two losses. I mean, he lost to Alex Hernandez in his last fight, and that's somebody that I think everyone is extremely high on. That's sort of like the next sort of like title contender in what, what in waiting at uh, 155. So no shame in that. Um, but, uh, yeah, it, it's a little bit hard to read where exactly Aubin Mercier lands in the 155 pound 
class. So, uh, but he needs a bounce back after two consecutive losses. Yeah, when you're looking at that streak he was on, he was, he was getting wins over Drew Dober, Tony Martin, who just looked really good recently, Evan Dunham, and yeah, just, just run into these two losses now. So a bit of a couple steps back for him. Uh, but I, yeah, I thought Gilbert Burns looked really good in, in this fight. So I had him winning all three rounds. And as we uh, move on up to the headliner of the prelims, Claudia Gadelia taking on Nina Ansarov. Uh, Nina Ansarov has had this unbelievable turnaround in her career ever since uh, the end of 2015, and she continued it here. She was a underdog going into this, a plus 240 underdog. Uh, I gave Gadelia the first round, and then the second round saw Nina Ansarov just tagging her, taking her apart standing. But then Gedalia was able to take her down and control her throughout most of the round. But uh, the third, it was just all Nina Ansarov with her striking. Her left jab was on point. She was able to stop all of Gedalia's takedowns. Didn't seem to have uh, a lot of force behind those takedowns. So I had a 29-28 for Nina Ansarov. Yeah, I had the same score. Uh, Nina Ansarov really put on a, a great display of her uh, kickboxing skills just as the fight went on she just really got her timing down her footwork down she was really patient she landed her jab uh, very effectively in this fight and that really slowed down Gedalia and yeah I, I guess uh, having a training partner who's a world champion you know turns you into a world champion so uh, you know Ansaroff is is really climbing the rankings uh, at strawweight really fast, and I don't think she's very far off from a title shot. Yeah, the name I heard being thrown out was uh, Tatiana Suarez to fight next. I think either of them, like Rose Nama Yunus has no one. I think you could go with either of them at this point for a title fight. I don't even know if you have to do a fight between those two to establish the next contender. But yeah, Nina Ansaroff, this is her fourth straight win after wins over Jocelyn jones Liebarger. Angela Hill, Randa Marcos, and now Gedelia, who, I mean, has fought for the title in the past. So she has, you know, at a time when she, she was looking at retiring, um, after the loss to, uh, Justine Kish and then has totally turned it around for herself and very likely could fight for a title this year. Very yeah. Nice. I, 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 this is sort of like the same problem as at, uh, Flyweight. There's, there's not a huge, string of contenders after Joanna has already been defeated twice. And I don't really think at this point it even matters so much who the opponent is for Rose. Cause I think Rose is the star of the show. So, so you're sort of really just promoting anyone against her, but Nina Ansaroff does have a good story behind her. Uh, you know, her partner is a UFC champion and that'd be an interesting story to have a couple who are both UFC champions at the same time. So, uh, I wouldn't be surprised if that's what we see next. Then we go on to the main card. Up first, Tiago Santos versus Jimmy Manoa. And Tiago Santos stops him at 41 seconds of the second round. And that came after one of the best rounds of the year. This was a video game between these two. Santos clips him early. And then Manoa gets caught again, and Santos is just drilling him with left hands. He continues to connect. Manoa is just holding on to him, trying to clinch to just recover. And then Manoa suddenly lands a right hand, and he nails him with a jab. Santos is just 
auditioning for Tekken or something because he throws like two consecutive head kicks and then a takedown, just totally throwing this guy off. Santos was able to land a big knee. These guys were taking so much damage. Manoa nails him with this huge left hand at the end. Unbelievable round. Yeah, it, it was it was complete madness. The the power that these guys were throwing oh. in every shot, like it was like you were sweating yourself watching this fight because you knew it could it was gonna be over at any second. Like there was no question that this fight was not going to the to the judges' scorecards, and the first round was just really incredible. I mean, Manoa looked out multiple times and then came back and you know you can make a case he almost won the round yeah. maybe he did run the, win the round it, it it's it's it was a wild wild round i if you watch the first two and a half minutes of this round and i'm gonna tell you that you could argue jimmy manuel wins this round you'd look at me like i was out of my mind and i did score the round for santos but manuel landed some incredible shots at the end of this and i don't think i had anything left because santos comes out and he's just wailing away he hits this left uppercut i thought jimmy manuel's head was going to end up on the gardner expressway after that <laughs> left uppercut and then follows with this left hook that drops manoa he has nothing left it's over mercifully at 41 seconds of the second round this was insane. Um, you know, I definitely feel like contradictory that I'm so concerned about Max Holloway and his health. And then I watch a fight like this and it's like, man, this was just such a violent fight. Um, but that is, that is kind of the negotiation you make watching, uh, fight cards that there's real damage being done here. And there was probably lots incurred by both men, but. I can't lie. This was exciting as all hell to watch. Yeah, it was incredible. And this fight really kind of just makes a name for Tiago Santos. Now people are really going to be excited to see him. I mean, Jimmy Manoa is a legitimate uh, contender. Uh, he has knockout power. He can knock out anybody in the division. And so uh, uh, such a dramatic, uh, impactful win uh, is going to mean people are clamoring for Santos, who, by the way, this is, was his fifth fight in 2018. That's outrageous. As I'm looking at his record here, he fought five times this year. Yeah. Two, the, these last two have been at light heavyweight. That's incredible. Look at the names he fought this year. Anthony Smith, David Branch, Kevin Holland, Eric Anders, and Jimmy Manoa. Yeah. It, it, wow. Yeah. Yeah. He's, uh, yeah, he made a name for himself and, uh, I think uh, after maybe he gets a little bit of a rest, uh, we'll see him. February. The, yeah, that's right. Uh, incredible fight. I thought this was a shoe-in for fight of the night, but uh, little did we know what was still to come. Uh, Hakeem uh, Dawadu de de defeated Kyle Bokniak at 145 pounds. Uh, did I miss anything? In this fight? <laughs> I mean, Hakeem Dawadu looked good in this fight. I mean... Very good striking. I thought his footwork was on point. Um, I didn't get into this fight all that much. Maybe it's because we were just following uh, the war of attrition between Tiago Santos and Jimmy Manoa. Um, it was a fine win for Duadu, but a fight I will never think about after tonight. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I got into it a little bit more than you. I, I hadn't seen Duadu fight before, and I uh, 
You're uh, a better person than me. <laughs> uh, and then Kyle Bokniak, I remembered him from his fight with Zabit. Uh, I'm not even going to try to pronounce his last name. And uh, I was impressed at the amount of heart that he had in that fight. And he was able to sort of withstand what Zabit was able to give him and kind of give back to him at the end of that fight. And uh, Hakeem Dewadu really put on a, a, just a masterful performance. He completely shut down Bochniak, who was always, you know, who had a lot of heart. He was always in the fight. But Dewadu just used superior technique. Uh, he had good pace. He had good cardio. And uh, he at least, you know, sort of put his name out there in the UFC uh, world. I'm not so sure how much a win over Kyle Bokniak, uh, where that puts you exactly, but uh, it was a good technical performance, and so I would like to see him again. So, this was a dominant performance from Hakeem Duwadu. Yes. 30-27. I'm assuming, Phil, you scored the same. Then we yes. get the judges' scorecards, and Bruce Buffer starts reading them. First judge scores at 30-27, Duwadu. Judge number two, 29-28, Bokniak. And the entire arena is just a gasp. What? Somebody scored this fight for Kyle Bokniak, which Hakeem Dawadu accurately referred to as trash. That scorecard. Paul Felder was stunned. Everyone was stunned. I could not believe this scorecard that was turned in. It, it was, yeah, it was pretty egregious. Maybe, maybe it was Jimmy Manoa. Maybe they just like <laughs> put him in the corner to score a fight after what happened to him. I, I, cause I don't know. It, it, there's really no explanation for that scorecard. And so I'm not even going to try to give one. I mean, the only saving grace is that it's not like this costs the guy a victory, but it's still nuts that scores like that occur. But the right guy got the victory. And at the end of the day, a split win or a unanimous win. It really doesn't matter. Gunnar Nelson versus Alex Cowboy Oliveira. You have never seen something so diametrically opposed as a man's entrance walking down to the octagon and his exit departing the octagon. Then Alex Oliveira. He came down. He is dancing away. He is so happy. They're trying to uh, – he's at the checkpoint and he's like dancing around. He's laughing. Joe Rogan saying he's like your drunk uncle at a wedding. <laughs> he was just the happiest man in the world. And then the fight began. Uh, early on, I should say, it, it was looking like it was going to be all smiles for Alex Oliveira. And he was going to test this, uh, this referee, Jaron Vallel, uh, Canadian Jaron Vallel, of how much I can get away with. Because as Nelson went for a takedown, Oliveira grabs this fence and he's trying to rip the guy's arm and it won't come off the cage because he's got such a grip and Jaron Vallel stops him and warns him about grabbing the fence and then gives Nelson his position back. I want to point out he, he didn't actually give Nelson the position back because Nelson had a body lock, right? He had like a gable grip around the waist, which is what he was trying to use to, to secure the takedown. But when, when he returned them to the position, he gave him one, uh, overhook and one underhook, which is a totally different position and way, way harder to secure takedown. So it was, it was, it was a nice farce that we were observing 
during that sequence. What do you think should be the protocol for some for, for this specific action? Like this was an egregious fence grab. Are you someone that's in favor of point deductions? Do you think that uh, this was enough? Like what what do you do here in a three round fight? Is this well, enough that you take a point away? You 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 can't uh, you can't give them a position. Like you can't tell. You can't say that Gunner was going to end up on top, so I'm just going to put him in guard. Like, you just don't know what's going to happen. So that's off the table. I, so that means that the only thing is, yeah, take away a point. I, I think that the general idea should be that the refs should be allowed to take away points. I know they don't want to. They don't want to get involved in the fight as, because one point is so dramatic. But one takedown, as we saw in this fight, can be very dramatic. So... You know, takeaway point. Gunnar Nelson was going to eliminate all doubt, but he did uh, successfully get Oliveira down. He applied a body triangle, and then, in a very impressive feat of ability, Alex Oliveira was able to break this body triangle by just turning his body and getting on top of Gunnar Nelson. This was very impressive and broke free. Uh, you know, Gunnar Nelson has your back, and to be able to escape that is no small feat. And then he just went to town on top of Gunnar Nelson with his ground and pound, and Oliveira won the first round with all of his strikes in the final two minutes of the round. Gunnar Nelson had enough of this. As the second began, instant takedown, mounts him, and then he just looks at Alex Oliveira and said, I hope you enjoyed that fence grab because I'm going to enjoy this. And he started dropping these elbows the second you have never seen a man and his face just explode like this happened. He is a faucet of blood just shooting out. And then Gunnar Nelson, seeing this man breaking in his in his grasp, takes the back and just chokes him out. And he submits 417 of round number two. And they showed one of the most graphic replays I've ever seen in my history of watching any form of combat sport. I don't know if I've ever seen something that truly is so graphic. He took the guy's back, and as he squeezed, the amount of blood that squirted out of this man's forehead, <laughs> this was just, if you were watching with a fan for the first time, this would have been it for them. They would have tapped out and been like, you can have this sport. I want nothing to do with it. Uh... It, it was it was pretty gruesome. It was it was the most bloody scene I think I've ever seen in the UFC. And what was crazy about it is it happened super fast. Like there's a lot of bloody events and fights in UFC history where there's a cut and then over you know a few minutes the cut just turns into just a complete sea of red. But here it was instantaneous. The second he landed the shot. Uh, Cowboy turns over and gives up his back. And then as by the time uh, Gunner goes to sink in the choke, he's already covered in blood. Like he went, it went from like zero to a hundred. And then as Gunner's uh, leaning back to finish the choke, Oliveira's tapping, like it kind of looked like he was tapping even before like the choke was totally on it was almost like he just could feel that his face had exploded and he just needed to deal with that more than anything else it it was it was it was really gross 
This was right out of a horror movie, and Gunnar Nelson was just frightening here. Uh, he comes back. He has not fought since July of last year when he had that knockout loss to Santiago Ponzanibio that featured those eye pokes that he's always maintained were pretty uh, – very much led to the knockout, which if you throw that one out – um, had wins prior over Alan Joban and Albert Tumanov. So this really got him back into the mix at 170 pounds. Uh, so moving forward, I think that Gunnar Nelson, this will kind of revive him uh, heading into the new year. Very strong performance. Yeah, a great performance and definitely sets him back on track if he's able to, uh, you know, uh, if, his, if he's truly over his injuries, which it looked like he was. Yeah, let's get him back in there against a ranked guy and uh, let him try to climb up the ranks again. And Alex Oliveira, um, he was not singing and dancing on his way to the back after this. Was, oh man, what a what a tragedy this this was these uh, t- these twelve minutes of his life and what a an extreme two extremes he went from. Joanna Janjacek and Valentina Shevchenko was next. Our UFC women's flyweight title fight. I don't think Nico Montano's name was even mentioned on this broadcast, Phil. Like nothing. There was no setup for this. There was, why is the title vacant? Who's Ciara Eubanks? Like there was nothing that it was just these are the two best women that are fighting for this title. And the history of this title begins tonight. Well, Ciara Eubanks is in her, in, isn't in her weight class anymore. That's so. true. Eubanks is gone. Uh, so there you go. We have a we have another division that's just uh, – uh, just completely searching for challengers. So this fight uh, began with Shevchenko just using her takedown ability instantly. Uh, just over a minute in, she was able to get her first takedown. And she had several of these throughout the fight, being able to take Joanna down into side control and essentially just rely on her clinch work and also not afraid to, to strike with Joanna. And had this fight just remained standing, I think we would have had a very close fight, but given the grappling and the, I won't say domination, but I mean, when Shevchenko took her down, uh, Joanna, it was just a race back to her feet and trying to deal with the power and the strength of Shevchenko. And I don't know about you, Phil, but it seemed that the Joe Rogan sometimes, he just goes down these pathways and whether there's something there or not, he's like a guy going into a cave with a flashlight. He's just got to go down this... <laughs> this dark hallway and figure out what's out there. And he was convinced that Shevchenko's getting tired. And by round five, him and Felder are just marveling at Joanna's conditioning. It's, it's incredible, her conditioning. And I'm watching this saying, I've got Shevchenko pitching a shutout. She's up four nothing here. She, Joanna needs a miracle to win this fight. And they're telling me that Shevchenko's tiring and Joanna's conditioning is tremendous. I, I didn't sense any problems with Shevchenko. I scored all five rounds for her. Uh, the judges had it 49-46. Uh, I thought this was a pretty solid performance. Uh, Joanna was never outclassed in this fight, but I didn't see her winning any of the rounds either. Uh, I agree, and I agree about sort of how the commentary was a little bit obsessed with with that aspect. I did think that Joanna was improving as the fight was going on and not that Valentino Shevchenko was slowing per se, but just 
Valentina was, uh, or Joanna was getting a better read on her. So she was having some more success, but yeah, the narrative that, uh, she was like slowing down and, and Joanna was taking over was not really materializing. And I thought it was a pretty clear, I mean, really Valentina won in every aspect of the fight. So yeah, I see this woman being champion for a long time. I, yeah, I mean, you can't even think of another contender other than Jessica I. Uh, so, I, I, it's this is somebody who what has more professional fights than anyone else in the UFC. She's she had an incredible run at 135 pounds, where you can make the case she's the champion there. And uh, when she lost a very close fight to Amanda Nunez, so this is one of the top fighters in the sport and she's in a very weak division so uh, i just don't see who they're going to be able to match her up against yeah i mean even looking down the road i i, I don't see rose nami Yunus like eyeing moving up in weight anytime soon um tatiana suarez is someone that i think can make a run for the 115 pound title and in time she probably will move up but that's a long way off that yeah beyond jessica i that you have in the immediate future I, I mean, the idea of – could you imagine Valentina Shevchenko and, and Paige Van Zant? Oh, my gosh. Oh, my goodness. Like if Paige Van Zant, which, I mean, if she, she beats Rachel Ostovich next month, that's – and you're looking at Paige Van Zant or Jessica I as our next title challenger, Paige Van Zant, I, I see getting that fight. Do you, do, I, I don't but, think that's too too crazy a thought. I wouldn't be surprised if we sort of see a cyborg type scenario happening here where you just have all these girls in the division and none of them are available, you know, to match up with her for whatever reason, you know, that just suddenly materializes. I I wouldn't be surprised if if it's you're going to have a hard time booking fights for Shevchenko. I think that the weight class will be more appealing for you know, going up to 145, I don't think is that enticing for a lot of bantamweights that are comfortable at 135. That I th- I feel that there are some women that are cutting down to 115. That it's just such a killer cut that it will be there, there's more incentive to go to 125, but as well as you know a short road to a title fight. You have a Joanne Calderwood who's probably going to fight at 125 for. For for I don't see her wanting to ever go back to one fifteen. Oh my! I mean, it's like I, I'm not saying there's you know a ton of options <laughs> out there, but it's um yeah it's tough. Like again, I see Valentina Shevchenko holding on to this title for a very very long time. Maybe it's going to be her sister who's going to have to challenge her. We could have sister champions. We could have. Couple champions. Let's let's think of other like sort of like relation champions that we can have in the FC. They could be tag champions. The tag, uh, the flyweight tag division. Well, let's get one sixty five male first before we add that division to the, the tag the tag group. Yeah, that's that's uh, where uh, uh, Eubanks is going to end up in the one sixty five male division. I think. Uh, Likely or unlikely, Nico Montano challenges for this title in the next year. Unlikely. You say unlikely. Yeah. There's, a, there's definitely a story there. The woman who never lost her title. <laughs> uh, 
I guess. I mean, first of all, the UFC would have to book it with the confidence that she'd be able to make it to the fight. So I, I just don't think that I, I just don't see that happening. Main event time, Max Holloway, Brian Ortega for the UFC featherweight title. This arena was just on their feet as Max Holloway came out. I, I imagine that the, if they ever do go to Hawaii with Max Holloway, the, it will be electric, but I don't think it would be too far off from the atmosphere here during this fight. They treated Max Holloway like a god in this uh, Scotiabank arena on Saturday night. It was deafening at times. I couldn't imagine what it was like being in the building for this with the Holloway chants. Yeah, Toronto's traditionally had really awesome crowds for UFC events, and uh, he did win uh, the interim title uh, last year in Toronto. Oh, was it two years ago? Excuse me. Uh, That was in Toronto. And... um, as well, uh, he's sort of been spending like the whole week in Toronto and doing a lot of media and this, you know, selling sort of like the hometown angle, how it's like his sort of like he feels like he's at home. Uh, so it didn't surprise me that the crowd was behind him and uh, that it was a great crowd as well. How did you feel, you know, just uh, during fight week? Max Holloway seemed very evasive to any questions about his his health going into this it was kind of you know we've never gotten like a clear answer on what went down international fight week he's talked about there's this there's this private investigation going on and he just was always changing the subject when that would come up was there any concern on your part and this is of course before seeing his performance tonight i was definitely concerned Going into the fight week, uh, I think I mentioned it even in uh, previous podcasts because of the nature of the pullout from the previous fight and how there was so much discussion about his weight and how he, uh, he was having trouble making the weight now. Um, but as we got in fight week and I heard him a little bit and, uh, of course, when he made weight, um, those worries went away. So I was fine by the time we got to fight night. So here we have two 27-year-olds at their peak uh, in the prime of their careers here at 145 pounds. And the fight begins. And, you know, sometimes Max Holloway is a slow starter, but I didn't sense that in this fight at all. He seemed to be coming out and was just throwing immediately and having a lot of success with his right hand. And clearly part of the strategy was not just focusing on the head, but really building up uh, strikes to the body to break down Ortega. Um I thought that Max Holloway clearly won the first two rounds. Uh, during the second round, they brought up a stat, and Holloway was outlanding him, uh, pretty much landing three for every shot that Brian Ortega landed. It was like 91-32 for Max Holloway, and this is midway through the second round. Um, some big shots, and again, the volume of Max Holloway, which once he gets going, it is, uh, it's like a tidal wave, uh, of strikes. Uh, he busted up Ortega's nose, and it looked like Max Holloway was just about to turn it up to finish this fight. But then third round, Brian Ortega showed up, as always. And he had a great third round. He landed this incredible combination. It was his best combination of the fight thus far. Stunning Holloway, slowed him down. And it wasn't until the end of the round that Holloway kind of got um, his rhythm back and started landing in response to Ortega. But I gave that round to Ortega. So I had it 29-28 going into the fourth round. And 
in between rounds, Max Holloway told Joe Rogan, I'm finishing him this round. And this is what he did in the, uh, the last Jose Aldo fight last year. So he comes out and he is so determined to end this fight. He is firing on all cylinders and just going for broke here against Ortega. And he is landing enormous shots on Brian Ortega, whose face is a mess. His left eye gets shut, swollen here in the fourth round. And they bring up in commentary that they have combined thrown over 500 strikes at one another. Uh, Ortega, again, he's dealing with his eye and Max is just piling up body shots. He went for a guillotine at one point and then attacked him with strikes. Ortega just went down to his back. The round ends and in between rounds, they, the doctor comes in, takes a look at the eye and calls the fight off after the fourth round. Max Holloway retains. He lands 236 significant strikes in this. Uh, I just thought Max Holloway looked unbelievable in this fight. Absolutely. Uh, he looked fantastic. He was throwing combinations throughout the whole fight. Uh, at first, uh, Ortega had really had good head movement and he was getting out of the way of most of the shots, but the combinations would come in uh, two, three, four. And even if Holloway was missing on the first couple, he would always catch him on the last shot. And uh, it was a really good fight. And, and Ortega was in it the whole time. Even though he was eating shots, he was throwing back and he was he always believed in himself. And, but yeah, Max just looked uh, exceptional, particularly in that fourth round uh, where he was really like landing everything. His pace is second to none. Um, it was, yeah, it was, it was a really great performance and you were right about him starting out like right out of the gates, he was landing shots and, uh, very precise from the get go. Yeah. It was just the, the percentage that he was landing and the volume. It was, yeah, the, the number of punch combinations that he was just racking up were enormous. And that's just consistent in Max Holloway fights that, once he gets his hands going, it's just so overwhelming for the opponent to be able to withstand. And I thought to his credit, I, I thought Brian Ortega, he took a lot of damage in this fight and seemed to have uh, good control about himself. Even late, I think it was the fourth round was kind of when he just got pretty much swept up in this hurricane that was Max Holloway. But uh, up until that, uh, I guess, how did you think Brian performed overall in this fight? Did he exceed expectations? Did he... Uh, did he fall beneath expectations? I, he did not fall beneath expectations. Uh, I, I'd say in some ways he exceeded them. Uh, he, he, his, I knew that Max was going to be the better boxer. And what we've seen is that Ortega's striking has been improving and he's always, uh, he's got so much heart that he's always, uh, in a fight. Uh, but he had good head movement at time. He was throwing combinations himself. Uh, he had a lot of variety in his strikes. He just went against somebody who's supremely, supremely good. And, uh, there's one thing that you said though at the start is that yes, they're both 27 and they're both in the prime of their career. Maybe we're not, this isn't the prime of, uh, Brian Ortega's career. Maybe he can still, uh, you know, rise up. Like this is his first defeat. Uh, there's a lot to be proud of. There's a that's 
you know, he fought for uh, 20 minutes uh, and uh, never gave up. Uh, he was trying to win it even in to the very last second. Um, so uh, I think he, he can definitely bounce back and we could see him in a title fight in the future. It's interesting with, with Max Holloway because coming out of this, I'm sure that he's going to have many options come his way. Like this was a fantastic performance, but I see the most lucrative options for him a weight class above and not at featherweight. Well, the most lucrative option is to get that Conor McGregor rematch, which seems feasible, but it doesn't seem like something that he's necessarily too interested in. Uh, and yeah, fight with the next biggest star, Habib Nurmagomedov. So that makes sense. Um, you imagine him and Nate Diaz? I think that I would mean, be a huge fight. I, I think that, there's yeah. a lot of great fights. And I, I think that Max Holloway uh, matched up with any of these guys. I think he brings like quite a bit to that as well. It's not simply you're just relying on one of those guys to kind of carry the promotional load. I think it's Max Holloway is really kind of ascended now to a, a level of popularity that I I feel if he is healthy and can continue, uh, I think that 2019 could be an extremely big year for Max Holloway. It, it definitely could be a big year. He tends to be an active fighter, so this layoff was a bit unusual. Uh, I'm not so sure about his drawing power. Like, obviously, he's an exceptional fighter and, and, uh, you know, in the top of the pound for pound lists, but, uh, the book's still out on if he's really, uh, a marquee draw. Uh, I'm curious to know what the buy rate is going to be for this because this is sort of one of the most promoted featherweight fights that we've seen in quite a while. Yeah. I, I'm not expecting a big number for this one. I feel though Max with the right opponent next year will kind of get him to that next level. Uh, but I, I mean, this one, for instance, uh, do you see this one hitting 300, for instance, which is around what TJ Dillashaw and Cody Garbrandt did with the, uh, the second fight last August, which is kind of where I see this. I, I see this being a little below 300. I would say this is going to be below that. I mean, Yoan is certainly uh, a star, um, but I'm not sure how much of a difference that's going to make in the pay-per-view space. It's, I'm so bad at predicting these uh, pay-per-view numbers, but I'm going to say below the 300. I'm saying 250. I'm going 250 on this one. I'll go 214. 214. 214. All right. More more than forty thousand for for Chuck and Tito though. Is that what that got? That's believed to be around what they got was yeah I believe that's the range thirty five to forty I think. Well, that doesn't surprise me. I mean, what's the biggest non UFC pay per view ever that isn't Zufa? A hundred Affliction did around a hundred, and I think that's right around where Bellator did. Bellator really did a hundred. Bellator oh. for that that first one they did with uh with Quentin and and King Mo did right around a hundred, maybe a little low, but just below a hundred. Okay, all right, good to know. So there you go, Chuck and Tito uh, wasn't uh, did not grab the public's imagination in in two thousand eighteen, but this fight certainly did. I thought it was, I thought it was an unbelievable performance from max holloway 
Uh, I wouldn't say this was, you know, like my fight of the year, but it it was an excellent fight. Like I was just uh, at the edge of my seat watching this because they this, this was four incredible rounds to to watch what Ortega withstood. And you got some drama in the third round that Ortega, I, I thought he won that round. Yeah, I thought he won the round as well. And it, it even looked like. Max was a little shaky for a second in there and, and Ortega could turn the tides. But after, uh, after, but as you'd already mentioned, by the end of the fourth round or by the end of the third round, rather, Max had already sort of gotten back his mojo and then he just really cranked it up in the fourth. Yeah. I, I thought it was a 10 8 fourth round. I was glad to see they, they stopped it in between rounds. It's something that, uh, you don't, I also just saw the Creed two movie, and this was starting to become very reminiscent of the uh, the first uh, Creed fight. In and I don't want to give away any spoilers, uh, but it was a, a very violent fight at the beginning. Have you seen Creed two? I've not. Oh, you should. It's excellent. okay. It's All right. Fantastic. Max Holloway wins, defends his title, thirteenth win in a row, and that was UFC two thirty one. The bonuses are in, Phil. I can give you the breaking news: fight of the night. What do you feel it was? Uh, Jimmy Manoa versus uh, Santos. It would have to be Max Holloway versus Brian. Really? I got the really. Well, I mean, it's not. I don't feel that bad about that, but uh, I mean, the concession was Tiago Santos did get a performance bonus, so he got Jimmy Manoa got (laughs) he he got to be judge for uh, the. Dewadu Kyle Bochniak fight. And the other performance bonus. Sorry to Diego Lima, but it was Max Holloway who also got a performance bonus. So poor Diego Lima. Poor Jimmy Manoa. I mean, for <laughs> for what happened to him to get no bonus. Oh my goodness. Oh, I mean, think of the, the other people that like could have been uh, bonused on the show. I be like Gunnar Nelson. For instance, yeah, definitely. Um, like that, that was really impressive. Uh, Diego Lima, that was an incredible knockout. Most nights he would have been getting a performance bonus. But anyway, I, I kind of always hate when they give it to, you know, like a Max Holloway. He, he did all right on Saturday night before any bonuses came his way. Diego Lima, $50,000. That's a big difference for his night. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you always want to see the young guy or like the guys on the undercard who need it more get it because, you know, they're making whatever eight and eight, 16, 16. So, yeah. So that will put a cap on uh, UFC 231. Next week, they're back with the the final card on Fox with uh, Kevin Lee fighting Ally Aquinta. Because I'm just looking at the card here. The main card has Edson Barbosa, Dan Hooker, Sergio Pettis against Rob Font and Jim Miller against Charles Oliveira. And then they only have the uh, the one final pay-per-view at the end of the month. Jones and Gustafson, too, which I don't know if you've looked at that card, Phil. It's a very deep show. Uh, I have not looked at that card. I'm going to look at it now. Well, I didn't. There's, yeah, the cyborg fight. Carlos Condit, okay. Alir Latifi. Oh, this is a really good fight. The featherweight fight between Chad Mendez and Alexander Volkanovsky. Volkanovsky's looked amazing. And uh, Chad Mendez is like a huge step up. Uh, and then, oh no. Oh, yeah, no. there's going to be a really sad fight to start the oh, televised no. prelims. Well, I mean, it's, it could be worse. Ryan Hall isn't going to, uh, dust this guy off with strikes. So I guess I, I, I would, I don't, I would not, <laughs> you, I wouldn't, 
You might uh, take take that prop bet. I I think so. I mean, Ryan Hall by strikes. You could probably get a, a decent return on that bet. I'm gonna I'm gonna take that one. Ryan Hall by TKO. Does that work? Yeah. Look at this uh, on the fight pass prelims. You got Brian Kelleher, Uriah Hall, and opening up fight pass C.R. Bahadurzada against Carlos yeah. uh, Melender. Yeah, this is a really good card at the end of the year. Yeah, definitely. It's yeah, a lot of a lot of big names on it, and uh, CR is on a little bit of a winning streak himself. Uh, so uh, kind of surprising to see him uh, all the way down there. But a lot of people like to get on that New Year's card. All right. Well, that's going to wrap things up. It is very late here in Toronto because we are part of the the Eastern Time Zone, which is not always the best when it comes to uh. Uh, following MMA and then recording shows afterwards. But Phil, thank you very much for, for joining me. As always, it's always great to, uh, to catch up with you and hopefully we can do it after, uh, Jones Gustafson if that fight happens. Uh, yeah, you never know with, uh, John Jones what craziness can happen ahead of that. But, uh, I've got a feeling that, uh, he's going to make it to fight night this time. All right. That's it for us. We'll be back. Uh, Way and I are going to have a show up uh, Sunday afternoon on the Post Wrestling Cafe for our patrons chatting about New Japan's uh, final night of the uh, the World Tag League. So we'll be back Sunday afternoon chatting all of that. Uh, if you want a full rundown of the UFC card, uh, we do have coverage up at postwrestling.com. Uh, that is it for us, and we will speak with you later this weekend.